Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's interview features Harper Kincaid. We're talking about A Midsummer Night's Scheme. That book comes out on March 21st. It is the second installment in her uh, murder mystery series with the protagonists, um, the amateur sleuth pair, Quinn and Sister Daria. So the first book is called To Kill a Mocking Girl. Um, so if you want to get started on the series, you could start out with that. Um, this conversation was really fun and cool and insightful. Um, Harper was so generous with her thoughts and just sharing about her life and her experiences and her background. Either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here's Harper Kincaid. So today we've got Harper Kincaid. We're talking about A Midsummer Night's Scheme, which comes out on March 21st. This is the second installment in her um, the murder mystery series that features, uh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. What's her name? Quinn. Kane, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Quinn Kane. <laughs> Quinn yeah. Kane, yes. It's all good. Uh, Yes. And then the first one is called um, To Kill a Mocking Girl, which is available now. So readers can get started on that while they're waiting for this next one. Um, Harper, thank you so much for joining us today. And this uh, I, it, this book was easy to, to get into and easy to get sucked into. And I powered through it. Um, and yeah, I, I'm the a- anti dystopian everything, you know, yeah. it's like <laughs> it's really, you know, it's light. It's it's entertaining. It's not meant to like, you know, stress you out too much. It's it's pure entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, to kind of get into that, but first, can you give like a little synopsis so that readers can or listeners can follow along with the conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, it is the second of the series, although you don't need to have read the first one to, I made sure that you could catch up. Uh, the, the thing that's a little different about this book. So Quinn Kane, as you mentioned, is the main character. She's, you know, sort of the, uh, I don't know. She's mid. Yeah, you know, she's about mid twenties. So I don't know. Is that millennial? Is that like I beginning like Gen younger? Z? Mille- yeah, it's on the cusp. I think. Right. Okay. So she's you know uh, works in her. Her parents opened up a bookstore. She she restores like she does book binding. She sells the books like books 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 is her life. And uh, it was based on a time where I actually worked in a bookstore for a while. So that was kind of cool. Um, but also in this um, particular book, uh, her cousin, who's like her best friend. Uh, Sister Daria, she's actually trying to become a nun, like a for as part of the um, uh, Anglican tradition, and that'll end up not going well. But anyway, so uh, so each chapter is is the story from. So first you'll have Quinn, then you'll have Sister Daria. So it kind of goes back and forth, and uh, really all of my I love writing. I used to write romance, so now I'm writing murder mysteries. It's so much more fun to have people killed. But uh, <laughs> so this one is uh, the former sort of Lothario of the town comes back like the local kid makes good. He's a Broadway star and, and uh, you know, he wants to, you know, reestablish some roots back in his hometown. But it's all of the broken hearts from before are like, you know, shooting daggers at him the minute he gets there. He has a horrifying, terrible death. But, you know, most of it obviously is off the page. But, you know, uh, but it's a really sort of weird and quirky and and it's all a revenge fantasy, basically. So like my first book was Against Mean Girls. And this 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 one is my revenge fantasy for all of the, you know, the player guys from from the past. (laughs) <laughs> and so she gets in, but she only gets involved. Our characters only get involved because her older brother, who's very dear to her, is engaged, was a former, you know, player back in the day. So someone in the town is is trying to uh, off all the, the F boys, as we would call it. So <laughs> I have, you know, a little, I can't help it. A little bit of, you know, some of my own uh, pathos coming through the page, but in a sort of a cheeky sort of way. So yeah, that's what I right. was trying to find. And Shakespeare is sort of the theme because obviously he's a big theater, you know, geek himself. Uh, and it sort of has these three sort of main, uh, three sort of suspects, like the witches, you know, it's sort of pulling in a lot of from Macbeth and, and, uh, Taming of the Shrew and lots of other, you know, sort of flavored throughout the, throughout the story. So, yeah. And I'm, you know, I was an English major in college and I'm obviously a bookworm. So I totally appreciated all those little, um, you know, Easter eggs and yeah. play with words and all that good stuff. I, I was, I mean, I'm here for it. Cool. Um, 
And so before we kind of get into like all that fun stuff, what you want to go in your background real quick and maybe kind of like, sure. cause you know, this isn't, um, you, you have other books published before you started this one, yeah. the series, right? Yeah. So what kind of like leading up to like, just for your background and leading up to like, um, Quinn's Quinn and sister Daria's story. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm I'm laughing and and like taking a deep breath at the same time because it's like oh shit where do I start you know so, <laughs> you know I was sort of the jack of or Jill of all trades master of none for a very long time uh, I was sort of that that quintessential like you you finish college and you just sort of throw yourself into different things right so I did VR and community organizing and uh, you know uh, what else I was a Briefly, I was a matchmaker that I should do a book just based on that one. Like all <laughs> these different things that you might be good at, but it isn't your passion. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, so now I'm a psychotherapist in the D.C. metro area, and uh, I specialize with um, uh, neurodivergent girls and women and all sorts of wonderful gender issues and also with the LGBTQIA community. Um, that's my passion. Uh, I did start off. Uh, while I was finishing my social work grad school internship stuff, you know, some of the stuff I dealt with was was pretty hardcore. You know, mm. your first job out of college, you're going to people's homes for court ordered for court court appointed therapy, and I'm working with the little ones and the adolescents and everything else. And so when I would come home at the end of the day, I didn't want to read like nothing against like Lovely Bones or anything that has you know all this sort of angst and and but like girl, I was living it, you know, so I not, so I started reading romance. This is back. Oh my God. Like 10 years ago. Um, beforehand, I was quite the snob about it and I would have never done it, but I wanted a guaranteed happy ending, I guess, literally and figuratively. And so I got into romance and that's what, uh, you were mentioning before. And so that's how I got started. And I got into the business, like right as digital platforming was really taking off. Mm -hmm. So they were really, (laughs) So that's my nice way of saying they were really open to people who maybe needed to refine some of their writing skills a little (laughs) bit. So like there's certain books like, you know, I just kind of keep off the market because I'm like, that was my writing school. We're just not going to go there anymore. But uh, (laughs) so, you know, I mean, listen, if you want someone a little weird and wonderful, you know, talk to a therapist because we are definitely, you know, a strange little bunch. I have a very dark sense of humor. I have um, a certain, you know, I'm, I have, I have, how do I put this? Like, I love the happy ending. I love sort of, you know, have, I have that sort of optimistic view. And yet I'm also like a little like black and crusty inside at the same time. So, uh, that is really, um, so Quinn, Quinn, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Like she's who she, when I'm masking, Quinn is who I am. When I'm masking, like, I'm, you know, I look like I have my shit together and I'm being, you know, lovely towards everybody. And I'm always coming with my best foot forward. Obviously, you know, I make my mistakes, but I'm doing the best I can. And Daria is sort of the hot mess that I am (laughs) underneath where she's, you know, an al. she considers herself an ally, but somehow she's joined a church that is (laughs) anti-LGBTQ. So like, you know, and she's, she says that she wants nothing to do with men, but they keep kind of popping into her life. You know, she's, She's much more complicated and so mm. um, and messy. And so obviously I love her more. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know. and so I took from romance, you know, a lot of times they go back and forth between, you know, the the different point of views of the of the main characters. And so I brought that into the cozy space. And yes, obviously we're trying to solve a mystery. But I also like to put in, you know, other things that are going on for people, uh, you know, things about religion, things about, uh, you know, the choices that we make, things that are going on in the town, you know, things like that. So I, that's just my way of making it more fun for me. And of course, getting to figure out not only how to, what's a creative way to kill somebody, but, you know, <laughs> how do you, you know, who's it going to be and why? You know, it's just fun. It's, this is part of my, you know, my own little therapy. yeah no I could totally appreciate that is that kind of like leading into like one of my questions is that kind of like what draws you into the murder mystery part of it is just connect figuring out a way to like connect those dots like the motive and yeah the means and all that it's exactly it that was I wanted some more of the strategic thinking I don't mind I listen I love commercial fiction just as much as I love literary fiction um 
I, you know, I don't mind a formula. Sometimes we feel comforted by the formula, you know, mm. that got me into romance. I found though, I liked more, a little bit more of the strategy of that, that comes from, you know, mysteries, thrillers, things like that. I kind of, so I'm really digging that part of it, but you, you nailed it right away. You saw exactly what I was saying. So you already figured out that that was what was drawing me to it. Yeah. And could just because I could also tell that you were kind of having fun <laughs> figuring out how, so, you know, how, um, you know, the playboy was going to, the former playboy, how, how, how yeah. he was going to meet his end and how creative, um, the, you know, the perpetrator was going to be with their methods. And, um, oh, yeah, it, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was definitely right. creative. Um, sure. that's- and of course I had to name him Chad. Like I was yeah. like, I literally Googled like, um, what are douchebag <laughs> names for guys, you know, that are somewhat mo- like elder millennial. Cause he's older than the, the sure. characters. And so, you know, Chad, but like Chad, Trevor, like, um, I don't want to say too many. Cause then people are like, that's my son's name. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah. make, sh- make sure he doesn't, you know, fit that mold. Just your kids yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> And do your job, Mama. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So then kind of switching gears from romance to like murder mystery, what, how did those experiences differ and like experiences differ? And then like, what were like some biggest lessons learned, things like that? In terms of writing between the two or? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, cause you're, you were established um, author in one genre and then you wanted to like kind of switch over a little bit or you decided to take on a new challenge. So yeah, yeah. kind of how do those experiences differ and like what were like biggest lessons learned when you when you were just, you know, switching gears? Um so that's a great question. Um I'd say that the main, you know, going from romance to cozy, you know, yes, it's a whole other genre, but there it's still an escapist part of a genre, so the audience has stayed pretty much the same if not expanded maybe into some a little bit more of an older crowd, um, just because that tends to be what cozy mysteries draw. In fact, they get annoyed with me that I have a millennial character. They're like, well, what do you want to <laughs> women? I'm like, I have nothing against them. I said, I wanted to start with someone who we could grow old with her. You know? <laughs> but there's a very big, di- you know, the biggest difference, the biggest adjustment, honestly, is when I was in romance, I was constantly going to conferences and different, like, you know, yeah. So like, I went to like, you know, I would go to at least a couple a year and, you know, you're selling books and you're meeting people. I mean, it's like Vegas for, you know, us chubby middle-aged women. It was fabulous, you know, and it was all, it was finding your tribe, these, you know, seemingly average women who have these really body sense of humors and and have actually really interesting lives, but you wouldn't know it unless you sort of peel the surface. The mystery conferences, I've only been to a couple and they're lovely too, but it's just not the same sort of, you know, they, they, they certainly have their favorites and they want to talk to their authors. There's not the same sort of frenzy around it. Like it's mm. much more, it feels much more adult and subdued, you know, it's like a really cool library conference, you know, okay. so, <laughs> so, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a lower energy, you know, yeah. is romance. I mean, we're, they were crazy in romance, you know, and I say that (laughs) as a high compliment, but in the meantime, so it's really been meeting a different type of reader has been the biggest adjustment as far as my audience was concerned, like the people who are ready. I mean, some probably, you know, said, Oh, I'm not really, it was because not only going to mystery, but you know, there's no sex on the page, you know, Mm. I used to write really erotic stuff. So, you know, (laughs) if, if you're missing that, then yeah, you're probably not coming along on this ride with me. But I can <laughs> tell you that she's been doing it for a while and other big authors have too. But, you know, with Colleen Hoover and how she has the favors that she has done for us on so many levels and the fact that she writes whatever the frick she wants to write. And I mean, I actually just looked at the New York Times bestseller list the other day and she's like, just dominant. It's her list. It just should say the Hoover list. And <laughs> you know what? And some of them are self-published. Some are traditional. Some of them are more mystery. Some of them are romance. Some of them are really erotic. Some of them are a little lighter. You know, it's it's all over the place. She's also, she's a former social worker. So, you know, hats off to us, you know, in social work. Anyway, so I just think that she's helped I think that audiences have always sort of jumped around. Anyone who's a reader, look, you're a reader, you're a reader. You love books, you love books. You want a good story. I think that in traditional publishing, though, people really kept to their boxes. Mm. And I think that she's helping to loosen that up a little bit, you know, in a lot of different ways. Like, 
she might have a formula, but there's always so much surprise within her books. And, uh, you know, some people will say, oh, it's trauma porn, whatever. I, you know, everyone's <laughs> got their thing. And I, anyone who who's doing the hustle the way she's doing it, she's writing stories that she cares about. And she happens to be dominating everybody else. Like, I just, I just love that for commercial fiction. I love that for women writers. So. Yeah, I think I re- read one book by her some time ago. Um, it was Regretting You, I think it was. Mm, and I haven't read that one. Yeah, it was like the cover is like with a bunch of ripped up papers. And then so, but at then uh, sometime recently, I was like, I kept seeing stuff that was like, with her latest releases was like, it ends with, it starts with us. And I'm, and I put two and two together. I was like, holy shit. Like, like she's, I don't know if she's, if I'm just late to the game or like, she's just been blowing up. That's the crazy. It's the crazy thing. It's her backlist has just kind of, yeah, she's been around forever and she's always done well. She's always been a bestseller. So what kind of research was involved, like developing um, Quinn Kane and, and sister Darius, you know, mystery series, either maybe not this one specifically, but both of them. But like, was there like anything that um, besides, you know, what was just in your brain? What did you have to research? And and maybe like, what was the most like fascinating thing you learned? So for Quinn Kane, not so much just because uh, frankly, it just didn't go that deep. And she grew up in this area. I mean, I'm not from here, but I've lived here long enough that I knew. So I knew Quinn's world for Daria. Um, I'm a loudmouth Jewish girl from South Florida, which is like the sixth borough of New York. So the whole thing with the <laughs> Anglican Church was all total research. But in the book, I talk about how Daria, whose name before was Elizabeth, growing up, she loved Sound of Music. And then she also liked Call the Midwife when she got older. That was true. That was me. You know, I was and I went through a very deep Call, call the Midwife phase and I don't know. I just, I just decided there is a part of my family that is, that has, you know, Christian Episcopalian Anglican roots. So there's a part of it that was a little bit of exploration for myself, but I just love the idea of this sort of tough along the edges, you know, modern girl who decides she's going to give all that up to become a nun. You know, that just seems <laughs> such, something so crazy to me. And so that's not my world. I happen to have some good friends of mine who one of them is the pastor, like they're real characters, like there's real people's names in the book. And they were really generous with me about, you know, what this is and what would you expect and things like that. So yeah, that was, I did a very deep dive into uh, just the the Church of England and then Anglican and how it split off from the Epis- the Episcopalians. And uh, I will say that when I started the series, this was, so this shows a little bit of my own naivete, which I ended up incorporating into the book. When I first started, I didn't really get the difference between Anglican and Episcopalian. Mm. I didn't understand. To me, like, I would hear that, like, oh, well, we're not really, you know, I would hear that it wasn't gay affirming. But I'll be honest, like, because I love the people in my community so much, you know, as people, I really relegated thinking, okay, maybe they regard LGBT stuff the way like the Catholics feel about birth control. Like they say they're against it, but everyone knows that they're on it, you know, that kind of thing. That's what I thought. It was a total, it goes to show you, and this is where I do have some of Daria's trait where, because I liked the people I did, I didn't want, like it just, I couldn't merge the people with the belief. Mm. So I said, Oh, maybe the belief is that, that, that anti-belief is really not as strong as I think it is. Mm. And so, because I wanted just to, you know, see my friends through rose colored glasses. And the truth is a lot more complicated. And I realized the more and more I did my research, I'm like, oh crap, no, this, this is, this, they split up over this. Like this was a big freaking deal. And I didn't realize that till after I re- wrote the first book. So I actually had people who would write to me saying, how can you talk about the Anglican church and all these good things about it? And, and, and I'm like, just wait, (laughs) you know, but, you know, so I have her and like, here she was this, this fairly liberal LGBT, she considered herself an ally. And yet she's somehow able to do this cognitive dissonance of letting that go because she wants so badly just to be part of something and to get away from her former life. And uh, she's really deeply flawed and, Mm. and that's people. And so you know, her desk, and, and I wrote a line in the book, like, it's amazing on how someone's loneliness can end up 
it basically it, it fills up everything that that takes away your common sense or what you thought your, were your values sometimes. I think that happens to people more often than not. Um, it was obviously a much bigger example versus what I went through. And I still care about those people, but you know, I have a, I have a, I have a gay daughter who has a trans partner and we love them and they're part of our family. And I do this work and I realized that as much as I may care about these people, I can't separate like this, this is a line in the sand. And Mm. so, you know, I, I didn't have my affiliation anymore with the church and I, you know, I'm still friendly, but I've made it very clear on how I feel about things. You're like, yeah. that, you know, and so her evolution in like the second book is just another sort of fictionalized version of one that I had to go through. Like I kept trying to, you know, and I think we do this sometimes for some of us who are late to the party sometimes. Like we we try to, we want to rationalize things we want to. Maybe it's also a Gen X trait a little bit. Like we just have so, we just are trying to survive. We're just trying to look at the good things and we don't want to sometimes whatever. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you're either an ally or you're part of a community or you're not. Like you mm-hmm. can't ask people to live it's like asking people to like, you know, take a half a breath for the for the rest of their lives. It's just not right. So I Yeah, know. I think you you at this point you either have an opinion, like you have an opinion and it's and it's one way or the other. There's That's really it. it's it's really hard to I tried to straddling like, that line for a really long yeah. time. And some of it is based, frankly, on my own trauma responses from my own life because I had so many problematic people in my own family growing up that you would hold on with like two white knuckled fists to the parts about them that was anything. I mean, we're not just talking just in terms of issues, just in terms of anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't think life is as black and white as sometimes people like it to believe. I do think that people are complicated, but that being said, there are certain issues we're just talking about. We're talking about, you know, human rights being taken away. Like you just can't fuck around with it anymore. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, that's going to be obviously her trajectory. You know, obviously it's not going to be lasting her being in the church, but you know, she then has to, she's slowly coming to that conclusion. And then she also has to then make amends with herself and with others with the harm she caused by even being part of that. And that's mm. something I've had to do with different areas of my life to be perfectly honest, you know, and that's the work that we're supposed to do. And that's, that's no one else's burden to do, but mine or whoever's mm. it is. And it ends up being a gift. If you can really walk through whatever fire that you got to walk through, whatever the issue is, whatever, like I always say to people, my God, just, just put up with the sting of the ego being bruised, put up like, don't just, just, just take it on. You're not going to die. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's just like consider just to consider a couple of things that aren't you know and everybody has like that information bias um right or what you know what i mean so it's easy to fall into that kind of like line of you know you're not you're going to remember things that are like aligned with your own worldview or your own opinions right. but yeah it's at this at the end of the day like you know just just it's kind of like suck it up and and just yeah. do like, I love how you said, like, just do the work and, and just even just consider just baby steps to consider because the world is changing. It doesn't care what, you know, the society, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of communities are are becoming more, you know, they're they're becoming more visible. They're they're feeling safer. They're becoming to become more visible. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's like all of these other communities who are, you know, these people who are just they don't like it and they're forced to like deal with it. And it's like, you know just what? they don't have it. to like it. That's the thing. Yeah. You know what? That's my whole thing is like, I am not trying to change your mind. Yeah. One is, is trying to change your mind. In fact, if anything, it's the, it feels like the other way. But that being said, I, I, you know, and especially as a psychotherapist, I have a million different people that come in with a million different world political views, what have you. And they do not know where I stand on things because that's not my job. <laughs> yeah, I, My yeah. job is, is to help them get to functionality and to help them live a better life. And, you know, I tend to live in a more fairly more moderate to, to liberal area. So I don't get a lot of, you know, other extremes um, one way or the other, but I don't know. Listen, I just, 
I'm so proud of my daughter for how she's navigating the world and just being unabashedly herself. And I think being your full authentic self is like the greatest act of revolution. And so if that's the case, then if I see somebody for whatever reason, like I basically I'm, I'm tolerant of everything except for someone who not tolerant, but like, I love people being fully themselves and I love them being, you know, to embrace whatever labels or permutations, uh, let them do it. They're their own Mm. art piece. People are their own becoming their own art projects. They're putting on the different, you know, some labels will fit, some won't. They're trying things out there as they should. People are evolving. And the fact that that's, I get that humans don't like change and I get that it really fucks with people's heads with the idea that something's maybe not binary or black and white. I get it, but. And I think it's a lot. People like are used to, um, you know, fitting things in a certain box or a certain mold. And then when you, they see people like just increasingly becoming, um, yeah, like not fitting into or everybody's mold looks different. And it's, there's all these communities that they can find based on which are part of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't fit into, you know, I look very typical, you know, middle age. I am literally a middle-aged blonde, you know, woman who, whose uh, real government name is Karen with a, with a, (laughs) not a K. You know, I am the epitome of what that looks like. And yet, when people get to know me, they'll see like, oh, she's just not, she's not just one thing or another. She's got a million different views and a million different what have you. And that's, that's sort of the fun of getting to know people. And Mm -hmm. if someone wants to wear it all on the outside, awesome. You know, that's not something I'm necessarily comfortable with, but that's me. Like I love when I see someone with their pink hair and their tats and their piercings and they, they, let them do it. I love it. Like you, you are literally a walking, you know, art piece. Of yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not my thing, but I love it that it's, and that's the thing that I guess I'm hoping that people, it just feels like, I don't know. It feels like it's, everything's really divided right now. This feels. Yeah, it totally is. And there's just and so much. And you're in Chicago like, and I'm like yeah. outside of DC. So we're in our own little bubbles. Well, you're also in a hot spot where a lot of that is going on right now. Right. And a lot of that conversation is taking place. And yeah, it's like, I just see, you know, how many bills or laws have been proposed regarding that. And it's just like, but like, why? I don't know. Personally, I just feel like, dude, use that like energy to something more productive. And Absolutely. and it's just like, what do you, you know, like, the I understand to an extent, like, the, um, like, children's well being to that, because I understand people are afraid of what their kids are gonna like, because kids are impressionable, but I feel like kids they, are impressionable, but they're not. They understand. Like, they understand yeah. so much more than we give them credit they just, for. They just say, "Oh, okay, that that's you know a fabulous drag queen reading me a storybook." It doesn't mean it, that that kid is going to you know. <laughs> I just I like don't, oh, they I, just they like they like playing dress up and they really they love you know the they makeup they love the 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 colors of it and and yeah. and what that person is by by that fabulous drag queen who's right reading the. uh you know, that storybook and story time is giving that child permission to be, and that's, I think what the issue is, is mm. giving that child to per- permission to be wh- whomever he, she, they want to be. Yeah. And maybe that's not what mom and dad had thought it was going to be. Yeah. Or they just don't know how to approach that. And, right. but it's just like, it's just one of those things of being a parent. Like I, you know, you, I, I don't like, yeah, my, yeah, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. They're both ah, uh, so they, you're in that that phase of life. Yeah, yes, mine are much very older. fun. They're they're crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the five-year-old's in kindergarten, so he's kind of like learning about. He's getting that structure, and he's he's um you know getting used to that part of the world. But then the two-year-old, I he's you know two, yeah. <laughs> so he's just like a little. You're just trying to survive and, every day with the two-year-old. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, and he's adorable, and he knows it. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> It is, you know, but I, I'm conscious about that because I'm like, they're going to grow up in this world. They're, they, they, blonde hair, light eyes, fair skin. Like they are, you know, I'm raising two white boys. And so I, if they came home and said, you know, um, I think I like boys or I think I like both girls and boys, 
I would be like, all right, so this is like new territory for me. This is new territory for you. I would kind of just, I I think about that. Like, you know what? I would think I would just feel happy that they felt comfortable to tell me in the first place. (laughs) And then at the end of the day, it's just like, well, you know, I, you know, there are resources and and I'll always be behind you, but I can't share this. I don't know what this experience is going to be very unique for you. So let's, but I'm always going to be here for you. That's kind of like the ba- baseline of what my outlook on it is. And, yeah, and you need to have like, your okay. reactions. And yeah. you know, I do a lot of, um, obviously, like, this is a big area where I'm counseling. Here's the thing I owe, you know, it's funny because I say to them when they first start with me, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, queer adjacent. It's not the same thing. I certainly have done my due diligence in terms of my education and research and what have you, but there are things that I'm never going to get. Mm. And there might be a time where I'm not going to be what you need and that mm-hmm. is okay, you know, and then we'll help you find someone, you know, a, a, a queer, you know, practitioner who, right. you know, has room in their schedule and hopefully, you know, uh, can take you on. Um, but I do think, I actually think that especially let's just say if, if, one of your sons came home, you know, and, and, you know, figured out something about his identity. And I don't think they need you to have first world experience. I don't think mm-hmm. that that's necessary. I think all they want is a safe place to land and yeah. that you know, you're their parent and you love them with unconditional emotional regard. And, you know, when, and I always say to people, um, I do what I do. I used to do a lot of parent coaching and I'm like, eventually someone's going to come to you. Your child's going to come to you and say, you, you fucked up with this and <laughs> because we all do. I don't, you know, yeah. I mean, that's just what it is. And, and it could be with anything, honestly, it could be with anything. It doesn't yeah. matter how hard you tried. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to be like, yeah, this is our, or even something, even not even from later, even like, you know, you have a fight with your kid or you have a moment and you mess up and you, and I think to, for you then to come like, as a, not you personally, but like, the parent to go back and say, Hey, you know what? This went a little too far. I didn't, I wasn't really proud of how I acted with this and I'm sorry. You know, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing for it. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. And, and I, and I, yeah, I try to be conscious of that too. Cause I know like I think about my own experience with my parents and how, you know, even when we get into fights as like adults, like, you know, not so much anymore, but, right. um, so I think once you become parents, you're, you kind of like reach that new level of relationship with your own parents. You kind That's of like, very true. yeah. Um, but everything. exactly. Um, but I just remember thinking like, you know what, I guess like sometimes you just have to eat shit when it comes to your parents. And <laughs> that's just kind of like agree to disagree mentality. Like, you know what, yeah. like they're not, they might not admit they're wrong or they might not uh, apologize, but if I want like a relationship or if like, I want to move past it, I kind of just have to accept like, you know what, like how serious is this? You know, like the ideal parent in your mind versus the one you actually have. And I always say to people, I said, think of what your line in the sand is, you Mm -hmm. know, as long as Mm -hmm. it doesn't get to that line in the sand, then there's everything's sort of negotiable. And, but if it does get to that line in the sand, then, you know, we'll talk. That's a different discussion. Yeah, exactly. Cause right now I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm sorry that I lost my cool. Like I'm, you know, cause like, I'll just straight, yeah, like, like we all reach our limits. We all like raise our voices. We all get that. And it's just like, I, you know, I just, I'll feel guilty after the fact. Like, you know what? I'm sorry. I lost my cool. Like, you know, and I think they get it. They get it. Like, it's just, you know, and yeah. even like, yeah, because I go to therapy too. And when I they say, "Mommy, where are you going?" and I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna go talk to someone." Like, you know, for yeah. my brain. Like, I don't know, like how else? Like, oh, for my like, you know, when I look like I'm well, having a hard so time, they don't know what that is. So I think it's a perfect way to say it. You yeah, know? I just say, you know, how sometimes I I seem like I'm having a hard time, and and they'll be like, "Oh yeah," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm just you know, like a like a doctor. I'm gonna go talk to someone about that." Yeah. Like, and it's and you that's just as simple as the explanation needs to be at this point until That's a perfect age appropriate explanation. Right. And it's and what a model you're being. No, exactly. but what a mod like, you know, mom, mom, you know, wants to work on some stuff with her brain or, you know, yeah. has her moods or whatever it is. And I'm actually trying to work on functioning or managing or whatever it is. It's, yeah. it shows that mom knows how to ask for help. Yeah, that's what I think about too. Like at the end of the day, and of course I'm like grateful for my husband to like be a partner in that. And he like yeah. understands and he, he, you know, he understands like, you know, he, and he tries to help explain too, like, oh, well, 
you know, it's like kind of like a doctor, but not like a doctor. Like it's like, you know, so he kind of tried. Yeah. Yeah. So it's things like that where it's like super helpful. I Um, actually wish that people did more. Like, I think that would help the stigma that comes around, uh, you know, therapy, mental health, what have you. I think that one of the things that would help is like, oh, we're just going to, you know, recalibrate our brains a little bit. Yeah. Especially. Especially those of us hand rise raising uh, who who need to take that pill in order to help with their anxiety <laughs> or her. I mean, you know, to me, it's not even a big deal. It's yeah, no. There it's, was a it's, time it was. There was a yeah. time it was, and I had a lot of shame and all this other shit. And so, I try to put issues in. So obviously, I'm still looking to entertain, but different issues that you know, I think about or what have you, you know, I touch upon them in, in this series. I do plan in the future, um, probably going to write some darker stuff just because that the, the, the creepy goblins inside my soul are like, when do we get a turn? I'm like, okay, <laughs> relax. Don't worry. We'll go, we'll get creepy. We'll get weird. You know? Right. Like, just give me a second. Like, just, Let me get the rest take of a break. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate your authenticity and cause you do like bring up those kind of like family, um, you know, those issues in the book too, with the difference of religions and you kind of open up a space for this family conflict to get resolved in which the parents like have to take a step back and look at, you know, cause yeah, they, yeah, they reminded me of like, you know, the well, well well-meaning um, they think, Oh, we're totally accepting. And, and it never bothered us that you didn't follow this, but Right. Then when it when it comes to like put your money where your mouth is, like walk the walk. Exactly. And, and not so. just talk the talk. It's like, no, like they're come on, this is what this is what we're gonna do. And you yeah. know, it, it, it I think I thought it was really good. I appreciated that you um incorporated that into their, you know, and then Quinn, you Part know, she story. stood she stood by her brother, you know. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Um, I think and, the I, yeah, generations, I it. they don't get it as much. Like they don't understand what that would be such an issue for. I, I really do think that millennials and Gen Z have really are just have taken it much in a much better direction with that. Um, but I do remember, look, I was raised in a, in a mostly Jewish environment and I actually went to a Hebrew day school, which is like the equivalent of a, of a parochial school for Catholics. And they were so afraid of losing more more Jewish people that it was like don't even look at the Christmas tree don't even <laughs> like don't even oh we don't celebrate Valentine's Day here like it was almost I mean some of it got a little you know intense for for elementary school kids but I mean you know they would show the Holocaust pictures for Holocaust Memorial Day or Remembrance Day it was really that was kind of fucked up that being said I, you know I certainly had a couple of you know non-Jewish boyfriends that I brought home and it was my mother who was half uh, she's the one who lost her shit. And I was like, <laughs> you're like, your father wasn't like, what are you talking about? She goes, and I know the pain and da, 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 da. I mean, no. like, oh my God. And like now with my own kids, I'm like, listen, if you, especially for my younger one, who's a straight girl. And I'm like, I'm sorry, if you could just find like a straight, like a, a straight boy that you could stand. <laughs> because so, so many of them, I said, look, I have an amazing husband and obviously you do too. But like, it, trust me, this, if there's a way to say that uh, we are, that sexuality is not a choice. Like all of these straight women, especially after the pandemic would be like, uh, yeah, can I, can I, can I re uh, look at my, my heteronormative crap? So. Right. Or yeah, exactly. With like everybody, with everybody being in quarantine for like yeah. at least a year and just, yeah, their marriages have, <laughs> they've been it's conf- true. It's forced true. to it's- confront, you know, themselves and their relationships. Oh yeah. You have nowhere to run. You had nowhere yeah. to run. So, you know, I can't even imagine doing this with my daughter's, and my mom, again, meant well, but like, you know, I remember saying, well, college is where you can find, you know, your husband. And I'm like, looking around at these dorks and I'm like, I'm <laughs> supposed to pick a future mate out of this cesspool? I don't think so. <laughs> and also I was like, just dating and trying to yeah. figure out who I was. Like, you know, it was a very different time, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and so like, my daughters are like, well, do you want us to do And I'm like, honestly, I said, just find people. I don't care how you figure it out, but just find people 
that, that, you know, that, that you love them and they love you and they're respectful. And I, and I do throw in as a Jewish mother, make sure that I like them, (laughs) (laughs) but they know that never happens the way, (laughs) but my kids are a lot older than yours. I have a 23 year old and a year old. So I'm on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I know I'm over here just taking one day at a time. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you have them, they're little, you know, you're doing that, that stage. I remember that like it was yesterday. It was not easy. And everyone's like, Mm. oh, just savor every moment. And I'm like, like I savor the 10% of time when they're really cute. And the rest of it is just trying to keep my head above water, you know? Yeah. And they're, you know, at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're not bad children. They just, they're no. learning. And, and the two-year-old is definitely like exploring his environment. And he's That's just, what he's supposed to do. Yeah, he's supposed to push it, limits and he's supposed to push back. That shows yeah. that he's got that secure base in you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because our house, I've, crazy. I've had to let go of a, like a lot of just you know what their toy like the floor is lava because there's just like almost nowhere nowhere safe to walk half the time and it's just like things like that i've had to just like learn to just get over it because otherwise i would just be cleaning like every hour well, and of there every are day who try to do that and i'm mm. like i don't see what the point is I, no it's it's and i don't know it's like at any point if someone randomly walks in i'm like oh you know just sorry, mind the mess. And usually people, you know what? Care. Anyone who comes to your house, this is my rule. This, and it took me a long, I didn't have this when I had young kids, but now I, I'm like, if I like you enough that you can come over to my house, then you don't care that I have dishes in my sink or, you know, yeah. you know, it's, we're past that point because yeah. that's Believe it, not yeah. even that. It's like things like if we had a plumber coming over randomly oh, and I'm like, I'm like, sorry, like I, I'll try to clear the, and sometimes they're like, nah, I have kids too. Don't it's fine. Like it. it doesn't, they get it. And so it, yeah, I think something for someone who used to do like at home visits for court ordered, court ordered stuff. Your home's mm. fine. I don't even see it. And your home is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the things I've seen, like, you're just like, Oh wow, like you knew I was coming over from the court and you're still like smoking weed and you're doing this yeah. other stuff. Which is by the way, in this day and age is not a big deal because everything's legal now or mostly, but you know, back then it was like Well, really? it's like if you're having some a court ordered appointment, someone like is coming to check up on you, like yeah. use some common sense, like wait an hour. <laughs> like what? Wait an hour. Like what wait an hour. <laughs> It was like, you do know I'm like, I'm like mandated, you know, like it just sucked. Anyway, that was not a fun job. I lasted six months, but romance novels got me through that job. There we go. I would come home 10 o'clock at night because it was all after school stuff. And I'd be like, you know, which one, which fantasy one am I going to? Because I knew like, you know, no matter how tumultuous, if I could speak today, tumultuous it got, I knew that we were going to get to that place. Yeah. Pixar for adults kind of thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what were like your, you know, just thinking about um this new series or well if if you find yourself um thinking back to the romance part of you, that's cool too. Um, what were like your favorite parts to write and then what were like the most challenging parts to write? This book was really overdue. It was due at the beginning of COVID, like like maybe within a few months, and I couldn't write. Like and it wasn't like I was going through that hard of a time, but I just could not formulate sentences. So when I finally got my brain working enough, you know, and that I was able to write the book, honestly, all of it was a sort of a joy for me because it was mm. all, it was based in where I live. And yes, there are people that I know, and there's a lot of things that are familiar, but it wasn't, no one was wearing masks in the book, you know, mm. and, and um, everything was outside and it was such a breath of fresh air and then being able to maybe get start to get a taste of it as I was writing. So it was all it was all gravy, basically, you know, mm. there wasn't anything hard as far as like, you know, coming up with ways to kill people and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I don't know about you. I mean, you know, they, you know, I hear these comedians on TikTok. They're like. Uh, white women put themselves to sleep listening to podcasts yeah. about serial killers. And I'm like, yep, that's me. So, yeah. you know, I, I have that gruesome dark side to a point. Mm. I can't handle things when I see them with kids. That's, you know, I just, ever since I've become a parent, there's just no yeah. way to do it. But, Definitely. but, you know, getting to see like what kind of snakes are poisonous and what's, what, how long would it take to kill you? And, you know, how could you work this out? And what was she sort of, you know, how did the character, you know, sort of get all this together and the big right. plan and everything else. I mean, it could have been a longer 
book, I could have just kept knocking people off and, and, you know, what have you. But I also think that, I mean, there are people who do write like really long cozies, like 400, 500 pages. I kind of feel like, I don't know. I feel like the whole point of a cozy is to have like this quick, wonderful little romp into another world, you know, and it's, it's literally like, it's like a baked good hug, baked good hug, you know, like (laughs) cinnamon rolls and, and honey butter. And, you know, it's supposed to be on the lighter side. So yeah, yeah, it was all good. Because you want to save some more of those ideas for like, mm, the The darker stuff. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or like the darker stuff. Exactly. Cause yeah, it could be kind of tricky to like, yeah, it's murder, but it's like, it's cozy. It's like, oh, exactly. it's like a light, like, you know. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and there are romantic elements in it. Probably more. I mean, I did have some people who said there's like too much romance in this. And I'm like, well, then I am just not the flavor for you, you know? Yo, like, I never I didn't even think there was that much. I don't know. No, I, I mean, like I, feel much like at I, all. Didn't, I didn't move from romance because I didn't like romance anymore. I just moved. I wanted just a different challenge as a writer. I wanted to tell it. You know, I still wanted to be entertaining and escapist, but I wanted to do it through a different lens. And so that's what this was about. But getting to have a little bit of the triangle going on, you know, uh, or I don't want to give up too much away. But, you know, there's just some of the other elements of that. Honestly, I find it a lot easier writing romance without the sex scenes. Mm. You know, there are people who write them really well. I was not one of them. And mm. it's not doesn't mean that I don't like sex and I could do whatever. But for whatever reason, trying to make it sound, you know, enticing and and the the stuff that frankly I loved from other writers, yeah, I could produce it, but it just wasn't quite the same, you know. It just, I mean, I'll be, you know, I'm I'm very quick to to be, you know, critical of like, yeah, this is not something I did well. But one of the things I did do well is like the flirty banter and, uh, you know, sort of that that repartee for between the suspects and, and, you know, the police detective, like that's, that's my jam. So that, that's mm. a lot of fun for me. And so, uh, yeah, this was pretty easy to write. That yeah. One. That's good. I mean, you play to your strengths, you know, cause otherwise you don't want to make it um, like you want to challenge yourself, but you also don't want to make it daunting to where you're like, no. you know, you lose that, you, you lose that motivation. Exactly. And it, you, that's a great, that's a great point that you make. It's that, that, like pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, but then kind of also knowing like, this isn't, this isn't really my jam. Like finding that space is, I've only gotten that in my middle age. Like it's (laughs) it's taken me a long time to sort of figure this out. Like, okay, no, this just means I need to just take more time versus, oh no, you've been doing this for a while. And this, this part is not working for you. And that's okay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's easy once like, like now, you know, Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. did it and now you know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we flew by this hour so crazy. Oh my god, like um, in two seconds. Yeah. So just a couple more questions um before we wrap up here. So what yeah. what advice would you give to Quinn and then t- what advice would you give to Sister Daria? Mm. I my advice to Quinn. I think she's someone who actually needs to push herself outside her comfort zone a little bit more. I feel like she did that whole stint with teaching English overseas for a few years. And I think in her mind, okay, so I did that. (laughs) Now I can back to this. And I feel like life has become, even with the romance of having the detective, you know, she, she's, I have found myself as a writer, sometimes getting a little bored with her recently because she's not challenging herself enough. Mm. Uh, but which is why I ended the book a little bit with the way that I did, um, for her, um, because it's going to be a challenge. Is she going to do what's expected of her? Is she going to do, um, is she just going to sort of go with the flow with what that change is going to be? Um, is she content basically, you know, working on her little books and things like, is that what, I mean, if that's okay, if that's her life, but she's gone, she's also someone who goes to extremes. She doesn't, mm. doesn't. We're, we don't see that yet, but we will see that if, you know, there ends up being the third book, but that's, you know, my contract's up. So I have to renegotiate. But <laughs> now for Sister Daria, um, uh, she is somebody who, um, what advice would I give her? <laughs> I think that the idea of something versus the reality of something can be two, two very different things. And I think that her entering, um, 
religious life is a perfect example of that. I think she's mm. the sound of music and called the midwife and says, I'll just do my social worky version of that, you know, and I'll, you know, help raise dogs and emotional support animals and, and not seeing what a whole system is. Yeah. Like she just sort of jumps and because she falls in love with the idea of something versus the actual reality. Like in fact, with her previous romance with that guy, Raj, it was the idea of him versus really, because the way he, I wanted, I obviously I wasn't going to get into the details of their romance, but the way he broke up with her saying, well, at least you've seen the world and no, I'm not going to stand up to my parents. And like, that's something that over three years, I can't imagine that's the first time that that came up. Maybe. Right. Not. Uh, so again, I think she gets sort of this, oh, this is what this is. This is what I want it to be. And that's what it's going to be. And then reality sort of bites her in the ass. And so yeah. I'm going to also tell her not to rush into any, big decisions like <laughs> so that's because she's also like i think in the book she's 27 by the time we visit her again she's going to be you know closer to 30 as it is and not that i i've never been one to sit there and say oh i have to have this by this milestone but i think for her as a character yeah. like, crap i'm closer to 30 than 20 and i'm sort of just knocking around like what am i doing you know she yeah just, um and I think that that's something that I had to learn as well. Like I would pick sort of the career or job when I was in my twenties, like I'm going to try community organizing. Oh, I'm going to try public relations. And on paper, I love the idea of it. And then like a year into it, you're like, okay, now this is what it is. And then like, okay, this kind of sucks or yeah. I'm good at it, but I don't, it doesn't really move me. Yeah. And so now I've learned to sort of almost do the opposite. Like before I came into social work, um, you know, I, I was teaching, I, you know, I'd gotten a master's in gender history and I loved it, but it was really hard as a woman. And if you wanted to have a family and, and to be on a professor level, it was hard. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, before I jump into social work, I really want to make sure that this is what I want to do. And so there were two things that sort of scared me with the idea of becoming a therapist. One was dealing with, with, uh, you know, child abusers. Like if I had ever had to counsel them, and I was, and I'm being really blunt here, I was scared of what it would be like to be working in like a really urban blighted neighborhood. Like, mm. what would that be? So I'm like, if I'm truly meant for this profession, I need to see if I, so I picked, I, this is when I lived in San Francisco, I interned, I volunteered at the San Francisco Child Abuse Helpline, and I got trained and did that. I did that for a couple of years. And then when I moved to DC, and this is before I even went to school for it, um, I got a job in Southeast DC and I picked that on purpose. By the way, one of the best jobs I ever had. And I basically confronted all some of the bullshit that I had. And I got through both those things. And I was like, it's the complete opposite of everything that I thought. Yeah. And so that's when I realized, okay, so that's when I applied for grad school and, and, went back and that was another hard decision. Cause let me tell you, it's like, Oh, I don't want to go back and do any more <laughs> school, but it was sort of like, so I, I came to this profession um, with my eyes really wide open and I really took my time making the decision because I knew what a financial and emotional yeah. it was going to be. And so that's the thing I'm hoping for Daria, you know, is that she's going to take some time and not just jump from one thing to the other. So yeah. that's my advice for both my girls there. Yeah, you would hope that she'd learn a little bit from from the past. And you sometimes know. people are slow. I was a little slow. <laughs> sometimes we're slow, but as long as you, you know get there, I I feel much better about the person I am now than I was ten years ago. Right? And I'm looking forward to like ten years from now. Like I'm just gonna be even a badder bitch than I am now. And it's like shit. That's you, very yeah, because you reach a point where you're like, you know what? Like it doesn't like like nine times out of 10 people are worried about themselves. Right. And so things that you're cringing about that you said or did like years ago, people like don't even know, like they're yeah. not remembering it. So, you know, it's, it's really just, you know, work on yourself and the rest will follow. Well, um, and I also think that um, women, especially in our culture, we've been sold this really misogynistic, ridiculous bill of goods that, we are losing value as we get older. It's the complete opposite. You know, mm -hmm. it's actually the opposite. It's I, I've got to tell you that I would not want to be 20, 25 for, for a lot. You know, I just wouldn't want to have to go back to that. 
And yet everyone always talks about like, you know, when you hear like, oh, this one's getting older. And I'm like, it only. That's what happens. But you know what? I don't buy it. (laughs) And I'll tell you something like I hear that stuff. And if I'm if I'm with a group of women and I either hear them talking either about their weight or about their aging stuff, doesn't mean that I'm not concerned with that either. I'm not like a boot on the mountain who has it all figured out. But you know what? I'm like, we are some of the most intelligent women in this in this room. We can talk about something else. Mm. Or we can figure out something else. We are not going to feed into that machine. And because that's, it's just, I'm sorry. I think we're just, women are, are amazing of everything that we do. And I am, I absolutely refuse to let, you know, a bunch of what, uh, 20, 30 year old guys who are stuck in their basement to, you know, in a focus group to determine my value or my worth. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think in the media too, it's, it's refreshing to see some of the um, actresses who have been in the industry for like decades and they're like, they're taking it back. You know, they're taking some of that back instead of, you know, and they're calling it out and they're making changes. And cause yeah, I think like to your point, I think, you know, to be 20 to 25 again, the only thing I would miss is like, you know, that metabolism, but besides, I was just about you know, to say, I want to look, I would like to still look that I would like my, you know, the days that I used to think how fat I was. And I look back now and I'm like, girl, I, you should have been walking around in a bikini. What the hell was the matter with you? You know, like, but I miss, I do miss my metabolism. I do miss Or that. just, you know, <laughs> yeah. Being able to like, you know, oh go two, day, like two days, like just not two days nonstop and be able to bounce back at the beginning of the week. Like it's so now true. I'm like, yeah, like I do a girl's weekend and I'm like Monday. Oh my God. What am I going to do? I know. Do? Like, like, I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying in here. What happened? I know. It's not fair. It's the youth is wasted on the young, as they say. Yeah. And I didn't realize that, like, I, I haven't heard that like all my life, but then now I'm like, Oh, it's oh, true. Like it's really true. <laughs> so true. This has been so much fun. Oh yeah. So um you kind of touched on this before. Uh what's what's next for you? Um yeah. anything that you're working on that you could talk about? Sure. Um I'm actually working on a TV treatment, which is something that is a very new thing for me. Um I won't get into too many details because I don't want to give up the secret sauce, but it's sort of a magical, realistic look at um, Jewish mafia during Prohibition. So okay. it's, it's a really sort of weird kind of story that's based on the based on reality. It actually happened. Um, it's, so it's based on a true story, but, you know, through a, a little bit of a quirky lens, it's something I'm just trying out. Maybe nothing will happen with it, but it's all about, like, I was scared to do it, so I knew I had to try. Um, mm. Someone asked me if I, they said, oh, if you ever want to show me something. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm yeah. like, not too many people are getting asked that. So let me, let me use the privilege and let me just push myself. So that's something right. I'm working on. Um, and I do have a, a, a more of a suspense thriller um, idea that's coming. Um, the, the hint I'll give you is it's modern day Scotland, but with a, with a influence from William Wallace. So okay, that that's, that's, you know, I mean, I'm terrible with sharing all the details of ideas because <laughs> that's the one place where I'm a total asshole. And I'm like, uh, and not like, I don't trust you, but like, I've had, <laughs> <laughs> you get it, you know? So like, yeah. I'm just giving like a, you know, but it's, it's the next, you know, it's just challenging yourself, telling darker, more twisty stories without it being ridiculous. And, you know, yeah. I, I, anything that's not dystopian at this point is, I mean, and I don't hate all dystopian, but I'm just, everything is dystopian these days. I'm like, oh, listen, we live in dystopia. Give me something else. <laughs> Give me something else. But anyway. Or so. yeah, well, you want to pay attention to the audience too, because that can definitely right. like you know, influence the kind of story and how you're telling it as well. Oh, so. it's totally true. That's absolutely yeah, true. yeah, absolutely. Um, so Harper Kincaid, what do you want to plug your um website uh, and social media real quick? Sure. Uh, so come to Harper HarperKincaid dot com. Uh, sign up for my newsletter. I am finally getting back into writing my newsletter and giving lots of writing tips and giveaways and fun facts and weird playlists and all sorts of fun things. It's only once a month. So we have a good time with it. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I am on TikTok. Uh, I tend to be more of a lurker that versus a poster, <laughs> but I, that's sort of a combination of book love plus some of my psychotherapist shit. Uh, so that's fun. Um, I'm not on Twitter because it's toxic. And mm. um, 
Uh, but I do post on Instagram a lot. So it's off, I think it's just Harper Kincaid. Um, and yeah, but come to my website because that also has where my events I'm starting to do a little bit more touring for this book. I would love to meet you. If people want to write to me, I actually write like the the the, the handwritten letters with a yeah. nice little stamp. So if you want some of that, write to me and and uh, we can have some fun with it. And thank you oh, so much for awesome. having me. You're delightful. Oh, of course. Oh, thank you. So are you. This was such a cool conversation. I love learning so much about you and your fascinating background and how You're so you know you yeah. you pulled it all together and um you know you told told the story of these two very unique pairing. Yeah. <laughs> of of amateur sleuths uh yeah and you know that you know all that good stuff it's always a fun time um arbor kincaid a midsummer night scheme is out on march 21st to kill a mocking girl is available now for those of you who want to get started i'll probably oh, add that to like paperback too now so that's oh. that makes it a lot cheaper so oh, no. <laughs> yeah i might add it to like my audiobook um list yeah. so there um, you go. Yeah, it's I find because I, I'll I'll get these um I'll interview. These Honey, you are a working realize. mom. Of course, <laughs> you're doing audiobooks. You don't have to explain a thing. Are yeah, <laughs> well, it's easy for like uh, authors like yourself who do such a good job of making it kind of like a standalone, but part yeah. of a series. You guys do that very well. So where it's like, okay, if I want to go back, start number one, I exactly. can do that. Like audiobook, take my time, like all that good stuff. So That's so true. That's so yeah. true. Um, thank you so much. Once Please again, have me back. So cool. I'm definitely going to be uh, listening to more of your your interviews and everything else. And uh, I'm a big fan now of you and, and your site. So thank you for having oh, me. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. And there you go. That was Harper Kincaid talking about uh, Midsummer Night Scheme. That's the second book. Um, the first book is To Kill a Mocking Girl. The To Kill a Mocking Girl is available now. Midsummer Night Scheme is available on March 21st. As always, look at the show notes. You could find links to her website uh, to purchase the books and to find her on social media. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Make sure that if you are reading any of these books, please do rate them on Goodreads and Amazon. It really does help the authors out into getting their uh, name out there and getting more interest and engagement in their work follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter, the nerd cantina cantina book club, check out my book reviews on the nerd cantina.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening.